Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest, Douglas K. Daniel, has written a biography about an actress who had a passion for her craft and put in the hard work necessary to harness that passion over several decades in plays, movies, and television. The actress Anne Bancroft, the book title Anne Bancroft, A Life, published by the University Press of Kentucky. The book is available on Amazon and all the usual places. And Doug, welcome to the show. Hi, Ira. Good to see you. Same here. Why hasn't there been a biography on Anne Bancroft in decades? There hasn't been a biography of her. And why did you decide to write her biography now? I was interested in writing something about an actor or an actress. Uh, my background is in journalism, but I've always had a really a lifelong uh, love of the movies. And I wanted to combine the two. I've done that in a few other other projects. So I was looking around for an actress or an actor to write about who may not have gotten a lot of attention in the past. There seem to be a lot of books about Alfred Hitchcock and about Jane Fonda and a lot of other people. So as I kind of looked at a list of actors and actresses I admire and would find interesting, I realized Anne Bancroft's name was popping up. And I didn't see anything about her except a book that came out in the late 70s that was a combination of her life and her husband's life, Mel Brooks. So I thought uh, at this point, Anne's story was over. She had passed away. So now I had a beginning, a middle, and an ending to the Anne Bancroft story. No one else had written about that. And the more I read about her, uh, the more I thought this was a really fascinating person and I wanted to see what her story was really like. When you made that decision, it's clearly not an easy one in this sense. You have to devote a certain amount of time to research, a certain amount of time to interview people that you can find, and a certain amount of time to writing, rewriting, and then having it edited, etc. So it's clearly not an easy decision. The subject was, in a sense, as you described, but the decision to then go forward is not. How long did it take you from start to end to put this all together? When I came up with the idea and to when I turned the manuscript into my publisher, I think was right about two and a half years, which isn't bad for somebody with a full-time job. I was <laughs> that. But, you know, one of the keys, I think, Ira, in doing a book project, I've written four books now. Uh, one thing I found is very true you should write something that you're interested in because you're going to live with that topic for a long time. Uh, two, two and a half years isn't all that long for some people, but uh, you want to have some interest and some passion in this. The more I read about Anne Bancroft, the little bit of kind of pre-research I did, the more interesting I found her to be. Before we talk about Anne Bancroft herself, just one other quick question. I'm always intrigued by people that write books as opposed to your main day job, which is journalism, which is the first draft of history. When you write a book, it's more permanent in that sense. Do you look at your books as a way of being immortal? Well, I can't say that I've ever really thought of it that way. <laughs> but, um, I do think that uh, when I think about it, there is, is on a shelf at the Library of Congress. And now, of course, with uh, a digital world, it's out there forever. I think more important isn't that it uh, is a memorial to me. That's not the issue. It's I like to think of it as I'm the person who is the expert in a particular field. 
And I say that with a little bit of a swollen head, but I know more about Anne Bancroft than most people do. I certainly know more about uh, the director and writer Richard Brooks, my previous book about a movie guy who did uh, In Cold Blood and Elmer Gantry. I certainly know more about him. No one else has written about him. And I like the idea that I'm contributing to that sense of knowledge and I'm taking some, some turf that um, other people haven't taken. That, if I might say, Ira, that's one of the, the problems I find in trying to find a book project. There's the desire to do something new. I think the the tug and push and pull about finding a topic is the desire to do something no one has done before. That's the journalist in me. But there's also the realization that people like to read about evergreen topics like Abraham Lincoln because they're fascinating. So on the one hand, I don't want to do something people don't care about. But on the other, I don't want to do something that there's a whole lot out there about it. So uh, I like the idea of not so much me being immortal, but uh, being the person who has uh, set the standard for that topic. I like that answer. I like it. When you look at Anne Bancroft, and clearly, as you mentioned, she's no longer with us. Mel Brooks is. Did you get a chance to talk with him? Did he contribute to the to the book? No, he did not. And uh, I want to say that, uh, of course, that was a big loss for me as a, as a biographer. You know, who would know her better, right? And one of the things I learned is I think Anne, Mel, the family was pretty private and had been throughout the years. As you probably know, Mel came out just this past December with his first ever memoir, pretty good for a guy who's 95. And if you read that book, as I did, you'll find that he tells a lot of great stories. It's very amusing. He uh, tells you about his career, uh, except for his childhood and his early years, doesn't talk much about his personal life, which is okay. It's his choice. It's his book. And uh, I think that you know, he just wasn't interested in doing that. I'll, I'll tell you, I know from talking to someone who said, when Mel was aware of what I was up to, said, Mel said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't think, I'm guessing, but I don't think that was a re rejection so much as Mel didn't want to talk about his late wife. When I started work on this, she had been uh, gone for seven, eight years, something like that. Actually, uh, maybe closer to six, six or seven. And uh, anyone who follows Mel knew that he was devastated by her death. He didn't talk about it with anybody, including like 60 Minutes. He would not go into that subject. And it took years publicly for him to talk about her, even in a sentence or two. So let's be fair, right? Uh, and let's face it, too. Mel doesn't know me. Why should he trust his most personal information with me? On the bright side, I did talk to Anne's older sister. She was one of three daughters. Her older sister was very um, welcoming to me. I made my case to her why I was working on this. And to my delight, she said, I think there needs to be a book about my sister. I think she's being forgotten. And I want her to be remembered for the work that she did. So Anne's older sister talked with me 
several times on the phone. She she really was a wonderful person to talk to about living in New York in the 30s and growing up then and in the 40s and about their family. So the opening parts of my book, which are about Anne's childhood, are because of her. Uh, she also helped me uh, find some of Anne's high school classmates. And there's a great story as Anne develops as this teenager who finds acting in high school. And uh, I was very pleased with that. And then other people kind of fell in line with uh, talking about Anne, people who'd worked with her and so on. And let me just say one last thing about Mel. A couple of people I spoke to told me that they had talked to Mel and Mel did not wave them off of me and said, you know, sure. In fact, one person told me, sure, talk to him. Uh, I know you're not going to say anything bad. And nobody did. I don't think there was a whole lot bad to say about Anne Bancroft. But I don't want to leave the impression that Mel stood in the way. I have no evidence. In fact, just the opposite. He didn't get involved anyway. And I appreciate that. You know, so many people in Hollywood are both talented and shallow. Anne Bancroft was talented, but she also had a curiosity and, and intelligence. Was she a rarity because of that combination in your biography, in your, in your writing of her? Well, probably like you. Uh, I, I know what I know about Hollywood folks from what I read. And I've read quite a few biographies over the years and, and things like that. And uh, I think Anne did have a curiosity for things outside of being on the stage or before a camera. In fact, as she was thinking about what she was going to do with her life as a, as a high school grad, she looked into the idea of being in the sciences. And from my understanding, science was something that interested her her entire life. She was just interested in science. She was reading science-related books while Mel is reading Dostoevsky and Russian literature and so on. It's really an interesting odd couple sort of thing <laughs> yeah. going on there. Oh, they're both they're both obviously bright and talented. But that's right. And I think that's the, the point. And I could be wrong. Again, I'm not an actor. But the things I've read, so many actors, I think, specialize in understanding people and being interested in people and people's experiences. Perhaps part of that is because the human condition is what they kind of, that's their stock and trade. The human condition being the stock and trade of these folks. And uh, they're interested in just how people live and think and deal with problems and success. I think Anne did that to an extent, but she had other things in her life. We know her from various plays and movies, particularly some television, but mostly plays and movies. In your book, you talk about the influence of Arthur Penn in her initial stage work. How important was Arthur Penn to Anne Bancroft? And did she have other mentors as well throughout the decades? Well, I would say that Penn was probably the most important artistic influence in her life. Just to back that up a little bit. So here's Anne Bancroft. She comes out of her drama school in New York, and she basically falls into having a first job, which is pretty darn good. One of her classmates was John Cassavetes. They were in the same class together. He couldn't find work for a long time. She gets a job practically before she's out of this program. Uh, that was because she was good. And somebody who saw her in school recommended 
her to uh, uh, someone in New York doing uh, live TV. So Anne had this career in the 50s. It was in early television. And then she was in the movies within two years. Her first movie being with uh, Marlon or with uh, Marilyn Monroe. So she ends up making like 15 movies of various quality um, and various genres. She has a lot more genre work behind her than most people know. But by the time it's 1957, she's made 15 movies and she doesn't really have much of a reputation in Hollywood. And she's just not known for much of anything. She's also in kind of an unhappy marriage. So she decides to go back to New York rethink whether she should even be an actress or not. And um, she ends up reading for a new play, Two for the Seesaw, and that's where she meets Arthur Penn. So to answer your question, Arthur Penn was so important to her because he helped her see acting in a different way. In essence, in shorthand, he helped her understand more of the method style approach to developing a character. And I think that, and found that approach to be so stimulating that it really fit what she wanted to do and what she enjoyed doing the most, which was figuring out that character and how that character worked within that area. And Penn encouraged her to go to the actor's studio, which also helped nurture that. So in that sense, he was the biggest influence on her. What she learned from him and from actor's studio, she could apply to either the movies, television, or plays. Yes, it really, uh, as I understand it, it's really kind of an overall way of looking at, at things and what you bring from within yourself. You mentioned, I just want to clarify for our listeners, you mentioned her unhappy marriage. That was to her first husband, not obviously to Mel Brooks. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> so, you know, it really was, uh, to me, uh, a turning point, no relation to her future movie. But that was all a turning point for her because she really kind of blew up her career. She could have kept going and making you know stuff, but she wanted something more and she was beginning to doubt herself. And in going to New York, she goes on the stage, had never been on a Broadway stage before. And she's in this play, Two for the Seesaw, with, of all people, Henry Fonda, who at that point was a major, major star. But Penn had brought her along and helped her find her way. And then the next, that was a huge success for them, for, particularly for her, to for the seesaw. But what really followed was great, and that was the miracle worker. And that made her a, an even bigger star and, of course, brought her back to the movies to do the film version of that, which won her an Oscar. It's funny because of all of the work that she's known for, for those of us of a certain generation, I think her role in The Graduate is the one that sticks in the brain. Yes. If you look at the 1960s, uh, she has the uh, success of The Miracle Worker. She follows that with The Pumpkin Eater, which is a really tough movie, a great performance by her, another Oscar-nominated role. She does a couple of other things, and then she's in The Graduate. She is so good in that movie. As many people have said, her character is really the most interesting one. She is so good. She's playing a character who's really 10 years older than she is. And she's fantastic. A lot of that, of course, goes to the script by Buck Henry and to the director, Mike Nichols. She is fantastic. And 
is just unforgettable in that role. And that's why I think it always stays with people, just because of, I think a part of it was the time, meaning the 60s, part of it was the role, as you said, and clearly the writing and directing. So it, it all added up. When you look at her career in total, is there anybody that you can compare her to? Are there any of, does she have any contemporaries throughout this career? As you would think of, for example, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis were somewhat contemporaries. I think you would find that Bancroft really was more of a, she, she was a kind of a bridge. She started out, and she was very young. She was, what, 20 years old? When she oh, yeah. Married. I didn't want to imply that she was a contemporary of Joan Crawford and Betty right. Davis, but that are there contemporaries of her at that time or throughout the decades? Well, to me, her contemporary and maybe rival, not that there was a rivalry, but the rivalry that there would be in people's minds is, who's the best actress in America? There was a time in the 60s when the consensus was, it was Anne Bancroft. Everything she was doing, she was top-notch. She was doing it on the stage. She was doing it in the movie theater. And who comes along and builds up? And that's Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is five, six years younger. And uh, I think, of course, talk about a fascinating career. She also comes along in a lot of what I would call almost, uh, well, very light comedies, a few dramas, she works her way through the 60s. Let's include Barbarella and all of that. Barbarella. Uh, if To a lot of people, Barbarella would be the, the low point of, of uh, Fonda's career. Right. And I think if you look back at Anne Bancroft, her low point was probably Gorilla at Large. <laughs> Gorilla at Large was in 3D. Imagine Barbarella in 3D. <laughs> yes. So, Fonda comes along and she starts getting these roles that are doing so much more for women. Like in, in uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And certainly Clute, Coming Home. She's picking up those roles in the uh, late 60s and 70s that one might think could have gone to, uh, to Bancroft. Although, again, she was just a little bit older. So to many people, you can make the argument that Fonda became that leading actress. And she certainly worked more than Bancroft did. Going back to your point about uh, Bancroft having other interests in her life, here she is. She makes The Graduate, which was a massive success. It makes like $80 million in 1968 dollars. It would be a huge hit today. I mean, giant money. Everybody was seeing it more than once. And what does she do? She doesn't make a movie for like five years. Who does that? It's somebody who doesn't feel a need to be working all the time. And that's a really curious part of her her career. Yes, she was in the stage. She did a couple of TV things. But she liked life. She liked her marriage with her husband. She also was having her first child a couple of years later, first and only child. She had other things to do with her life than work. And yet you say that she was a hard worker. That's one of her, one of her attributes was that she, she knew that to get to where she wanted to go or to do what she wanted to do or to act where she wanted to act, it required hard work. Yes, and she enjoyed that hard work. Her sister told me that's something they learned from their parents. Uh, her parents were 
native New Yorkers, their parents were from Italy. So they were, you know, uh, this whole work hard, get yourself ahead was something I think the Italiano girls, remember that was Anne's real name, Anne Italiano, those children learned from their parents who worked their whole lives and worked at night and all kinds of stuff to get ahead. And I think Anne learned that hard work was the key to success, personally and professionally. You mentioned her older sister who helped out a lot in your writing of the biography. Did she get a chance to read the book and give you feedback on what she thought of it? Well, I'll tell you one of my little secrets of how I was working with her. And some people will object to this, but I did it for a reason. Her name is uh, Joanne. Joanne was very concerned, as she should be, that I would present things in an accurate way. And accuracy, of course, is you know, really important to me. So, and she also trusted me. She trusted me with her story of her, her life and her sister's life. So, as I wrote and I completed my chapters, I sent them to her to have her read them so that she could see, was I being accurate and was I writing in a way that could be considered fair and respectful? That doesn't mean I was leaving out things where people said Anne could be difficult to deal with or things like that. I didn't leave out anything that was negative that I came across. And so it was important to me that she be on board with this because I felt she would be honest with me. And she was. And I will say, I was really pleased that she wrote back to me after she read the first two or three chapters and said, yes, it's very accurate. I think she pointed out one thing that I had misunderstood. I don't remember what that was. And I changed that. She did not say, oh, could you leave out the part where she did X, Y, and Z? She never asked me to change anything. And uh, even when I had material that was negative from other people, she might comment, boy, I'd like to punch that guy in the nose. But she didn't ask me to take it out. And I will say that it was very gratifying to me that when she got her copy of the book, and I sent her the first one, because she trusted me, and she, she was very pleased with the way it turned out. I'm happy for that, just as a person who uh, enjoyed dealing with her. And, of course, it also meant that what I did was accurate and seemed to fit the tone. And you gave her a sense of comfort by sharing these chapters with her as well. Yes, I wanted her to know. Again, we were talking about somebody who at that point was in her uh, 80s. Uh, and she, last I heard, she would be 93 or 94 today. And, um, you know, I'm glad she wasn't disappointed. If she had been disappointed over something that was factual, I'll just mention another book. I won't get into the details of it. One of the people who had trusted me with a lot of stuff was very disappointed. <laughs> and there wasn't anything I could do about it. It was like, why did you have to talk about that? And because that was a central part of that particular person's story. And I couldn't ignore it. You know, one of the things people got to remember about biographers, I have to present both sides, all sides, all dimensions. Warts and all. Right. And if I don't, there's a whole bunch of people out there who know what was going on. Like they know this person had a drinking problem. Why didn't you ever talk about it? Then 
the whole thing looks like it can't be trusted. Right. And you just have to go with the story and be fair, honest, accurate. And I think, again, be fair. So, What's the most surprising thing you found out about Ann Bancroft through your research, whether it was through interviews or through going into the archives? I suppose the most surprising thing I found out about her was that she had been suffering from cancer. That was something that the family had, in the whole outfit, had kept secret. I never came across that anywhere in the things that I read about her, all the clips and so on. Um, I'm told that it was around 1980 that uh, she uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, the details of it, I didn't discover the, you know, the real raw details, but uh, she got through it. And um, she, uh, cancer came back to her at various times in her life in, if you can call it this, in small ways. And she got through it. And they managed to keep that really close to, uh, to the family. In fact, I found out about it. And I brought that up with her sister, who said, Oh, where did you find out about that? She didn't tell me. Uh, but when I talked to her about it, she explained to me in uh, the only detail I needed, and that is how things went along. And uh, then when cancer revisited her in, uh, I think it was 2003 or 2004, uh, I could talk to other people who, of course, knew what was going on with her. Uh, her son, Max, the author of World War Z and a couple of her really good works of fiction, he wrote about his mother in a few venues uh, after she had passed away. And that also talked a little bit more about what the family was going through at that point. What's your conclusion after going through all that research, talking to all these people and writing this book? What's your overall take on Anne Bancroft? My overall take on Anne Bancroft is the consummate professional, someone who figured out how to best use her talents and to apply those in the best way she could and to work hard at it. I also really respect this whole idea of her of coming to that point in her life where she said, this isn't working. She had success, 15 movies, but it wasn't working for her professionally and personally. And she took that big leap to do something different and to take a chance. And I think that resonates with a lot of us who face that point in our careers and maybe our personal lives where we say, I'm gonna, gonna take a leap here and try something different. And that takes a lot of courage for, for many people. And she did it and she made it work and she went on to greater heights. And that's a great story. And that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Douglas K. Daniel. That's with two S's in Douglas author of Anne Bancroft, A Life, published by the University Press of Kentucky. The book is available on Amazon and all the usual places. And Doug, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.